In a stadium rich with tradition. We have that here, and it reeks. And when you come in, teams take the field, they can feel it. The lights shine the brightest. Definitely playing at Camp Randall is one of the best places to play in college football. This is the Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, and the Athletics' Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Yes, welcome into the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Zach Heilprin, the Athletics' Jesse Temple here with you. Just back from Ohio State, Wisconsin. Takes it on the chin, 38-7. to Is it, I don't know, in a blowout game when you lose by 31, is it still not as close as the score indicated? Is it still, I feel like uh, it was accurately uh, scored that yeah. was, Ohio State was five possessions better, yeah. probably more. Wisconsin trailed just 10 nothing at the half. All, defense did a great job keeping them in the game for that portion of time. 10 nothing at half. Coming out of the half, they get a three and out, they get a block punt, they get a touchdown, 10-7. What were you feeling at 10-7? I, I'll go let you go first, but my honest opinion, my honest opinion was that Wisconsin was never going to win that game. No. And this is going to sound, I don't know what this is going to sound like. They were only in that game because of a couple fluke plays that happened to go their way. And Ohio state was just better across the board. And it was 10, nothing at halftime. And I remember talking to you in the press box, like, I don't know how Wisconsin's going to score. Obviously yeah. they were able to get one touchdown because they finally got into Ohio state territory. They didn't run a single play in the first half in, in Buckeyes territory. So to me, it was 10-7, and you're thinking, wow, this is actually a game. But really, it was also, I just don't see how Wisconsin has the horses to do this for two full quarters. Yeah, no, nor did I, and they certainly didn't. I think I was not the only one that when Ohio State went up 10 nothing, tweeted out, I think they've scored all that they need to today. And it certainly proved to be the case uh, based on what Wisconsin's offense was doing. They finished with just 191 yards of offense which is the fewest in the game since that Michigan game in 2016 when they had 159 yards of offense. That was a very, very ugly-looking offensive performance that day. This one was almost as bad, and it had a lot to do with a very, very good defensive front from Ohio State, backed up by very, very good secondary, but it, it starts and ends with Chase Young, and Chase Young is just insane. And Wisconsin, they said that they would have a plan for Chase Young going into that game, Still trying to figure out what exactly that plan was, because I don't. If it was the plan that we saw, where there were times that Jake Ferguson got lined up one on one with him, I feel like that was probably not a great plan to go in with. And Jake said that he knew coming into the game that he was going to have to face him at at times one on one, and that's just it's not not ideal. And we'll get into all this. Uh, we'll also uh, go. We'll go through this game, and then we'll uh, you'll get some of the best audio from inside the post-game media session, and then we'll get to your Twitter questions as well. But I think probably, and we kind of talked about it when we were coming in, uh, the one thing that stood out in that post-game media session was some of the comments from Cole Van Lannon, specifically about what has gone wrong offensively, not just this week, but certainly against Illinois, and really... You know, dating all the way back, Big Ten-wise, all the way back to the uh, the Northwestern game, the offense hasn't just been the same offense it had been earlier in the year, but I thought I thought it specifically these last two games, and he said, and you'll hear this in the post-game media session, but I think the quotes are worthwhile enough to listen to right now. Cole, you know, was, was very open about what transpired, uh, or tried to be as open as possible as what transpired, not just this week, but against Illinois as well, and he said that uh, some of the things that they had seen or uh, on tape and what they prepared for against Ohio State didn't actually play out on the field. Here's exactly what he had to say. We came in ready to roll. Like I said, we had a game plan and 
they schemed us in a way where we didn't see any of it all year and then now we're digging in trying to find just things that work and that's really hard and that's what Illinois did too um, and now we're expecting that's what's going to happen like people are just going to scheme on things that they see other teams do um, that we either struggle on and things that we've never seen a team do before and I think that's what's going to happen going forward um, so now I think that's how we're going to have to game plan going forward um, and that's just what they did today and it was very frustrating you know we had a lot of good players coming in. It's just the, they didn't play the defense they normally do on something. So. so again, that's tough. That's tough to deal with. He was obviously frustrated. We heard that in his comments. And the thing about him is, there was an opportunity for him to leave the media room. Uh, one of the one of the yes one of the media people said, "Thanks, Cole." And instead of walking away, he said. Mm-hmm. You guys got anything else you want to ask me? And it kind of led to some of these other quotes that you'll hear coming up in a little bit. But he was very open and, and took it on his shoulders about what happened, not just with not just with the defense, but with Chase Young, too. What stood out to you about those comments? Well, that it wasn't the only time that he, he referenced that. And he was asked several different questions, and he, he came back to the struggles that the offensive line had in that particular game, but also against Illinois. And the quote that I used in, in my story off the game was when he mentioned that he he thought teams are now game planning where ways that they're not putting on film, which he referenced in the other one. And he said, that's really hard to game plan against. And he also said, I think we need to just really tighten things down and get some plays where we can run it against anything. And yeah. so he, he specifically cited a, a situation in the second half where he noticed that Ohio State had overloaded to one side and they were bringing pressure in a way that Wisconsin had not seen before. And look, it's difficult enough when you're playing the best team perhaps in all of college football certainly the best team on your schedule and now you've got to adjust on the fly to things that you haven't seen all of it contributed to the worst performance by the offensive line this season not entirely surprising based on the talent on the other side but you're not helping yourself if you're not fully locked in and prepared for what you're going to see on the other side where does that blame lie because i think if you're seeing unscouted looks right you're seeing them how do you adjust them? How do you deal with what you're seeing on the other side of the ball? That, to me, would go on the coaching staff. I mean, the, the players can say, here's what I'm seeing. How do you adjust? That's a that's a really great question. I think it does start from the top, right? Like, the, the coaches are implementing the plan, and the players are trying to do that plan well. But I also don't know, in the middle of the game how easy or challenging that is. I, I, I've never played on the offensive line, right. so, I, so I, I don't know, but you've got to it's as Cole said maybe the solution is that you draw up some things that it doesn't matter what the defense does but I feel like that's easier said than done because <laughs> it's what you're doing offensively sometimes is predicated on exactly what the defense is doing but it was they were beaten in every way possible but Ohio State also has the best defensive player in college football some may argue he is the best player in college football and Another another criticism that I have heard out of this game is that, well, this is the same old Wisconsin football team. They're just running the ball. They're not being successful. Why don't they air it out? Why don't they take deep shots down the field? I would like to remind you that Jack Cohn had about one and a half seconds, maybe less, uh, before he's looking up and Chase Young is in his grill. I remember a third down pass where he was at an, in the shotgun, took three quick steps, got the ball out as quickly as, you could, as humanly possible. Chase Young drilled him anyway. Yeah. And it's just like, what are you supposed to do with that as a quarterback? You're not going to be airing the ball out because you don't have enough time. Right. They did take, uh, when the game was already out of reach, they, they took a shot down the field to Quintez, and it was a really, really great catch by Quintez. But for the most part, there weren't a ton of opportunities there. Uh, the fourth and, there was, it was 24-7. to 7. 
the game was already out of hand, though one tweet suggested that it could get out of hand if they didn't. Uh, <laughs> I'm just messing with you. It was hey, you were you were okay. I'm okay with you tweeting that. That's fine. I said the game could get out of hand. Yes. I didn't mean it in a way that Wisconsin wasn't already done. I just meant out of hand is embarrassing. Counterpoint. Game already out of hand. Yeah, 24 to 7. That's either what Zach way. said. Either way, 48 to it was uh 24 to 7, fourth and 8 after the Tyler Biotic uh snap infraction which he said the ball just slipped out of his hand when he was trying to roll it. It was obviously raining the entire game. It was wet. Um it was not ideal conditions to be throwing the ball. Though um Justin Fields did okay. For the most part, though, they did not throw the ball down the field at all. We didn't see a lot of passes down, like far down the field, like deep shots down the field, which Ohio State had done at points this year. Fourth and fourth and eight, fourth and seven, fourth and eight. Jack, two, like three steps out of the shotgun, had AJ Taylor wide open, and as he's getting just just about to get it, Chase Young take, essentially essentially takes the ball right off his hand. So there were openings in that secondary for them to make some plays. But it just it was a tick off. And there were, like, Chase Young got there early a couple of times, but there were also, right when Jack was about to hit somebody who was open, Chase Young there half a step early. Maybe if he's half a step late, those are plays that go Wisconsin's way. Colvin and Landon even mentioned that there were occasions where either Jack didn't have time, and there were other instances where he did have time, but the wide receivers weren't open yet. Yeah. And so Jack had to hold the ball another tick. And yeah. that's... A death knell against Ohio State. Chase Young had four sacks. That tied a career high, or excuse me, that tied a, a school record for a yeah. single game. Uh, and he forced two two fumbles on on Jack Cohn. So there's just nothing you can do with a guy like that. There were people there talking about how he may be the best defensive player that's ever played at Ohio State. And when you talk about Ohio State, that's saying something, considering some of the guys that they've had and just recently had in, in the Boses. Both of those guys were top three picks. I think there's a possibility, depending on which quarterback you like, Chase Young could be the number one. He could go number one, depending on you know who gets that number one pick. But uh, the thing about Cole is he also talked about Chase Young, and um, the tape doesn't lie, I believe is what he said. Um, absolute monster of an athlete. And he mentioned uh, that he had some ideas in his head that what he wanted, how he wanted to play Chase Young. And some steps he wanted to take depending on the type of help that he was going to get and he wanted to take the outside away from him and he thought he did that uh, a decent job of that but sometimes the help wasn't there and I think that there was several mentions on Twitter of that a couple times where the help for whatever reason wasn't there and, and he was and he was uh, hung out to dry and he said it is what it is I'm just hoping we do what we need to do and we get another chance to go against him I don't know if that's something that Wisconsin fans want to see again, but hey, if it does, that means Wisconsin be in the Big Ten championship game. Uh, defensively, just get word down. Yeah, they, they. I thought they played great in the first half. They played like a team that was worthy of being considered one of the best defenses in the country. And statistically, I know they were number one, but Ohio State obviously has overtaken uh, them, and and rightfully so. Yes. But and Zach Bond said, I asked him what the feeling was at halftime because they had ge- they gave up a touchdown in the last minute, yep. and Eric Burrell called it a scheme beater, and I, I watched it, and it was just perfectly executed. Yeah. Um, Chris Olave was they had trips right, and he was lined up all the way wide, and he went underneath and behind, and they just it was just a perfectly run play. But either way, and you and, and by scheme beater you mean something they had seen on tape from Wisconsin and ran a play to beat that scheme. Whereas Wisconsin's offense saw stuff on and then would run those plays but not see the same 
type of defense they were expecting. That would seem to be the case. I see where you're, I see where you're going with that. But it's ten nothing at halftime, and, and Zach said he felt like they played good enough to win in that first half, and they felt good going into halftime. And from a defensive perspective, I can understand why you would. Offensively, I don't imagine anybody felt good because again, they hadn't crossed midfield. And I, I opened with this in my story. I felt like it was indicative of what we were going to see in that game, and it's a, a play that's probably been well forgotten. But I thought it said a lot about these two teams that. Wisconsin's very first offensive series, which the Badgers, as we know, rolled down the field in most of these games. They scored on the first possession. It's third and three, so it's a manageable situation at their own 32, and they hand the ball off to Jonathan Taylor, and it looked like there was an opening around the left side. And two Ohio State guys just blew up the play, and they dropped Taylor one yard short of the line to gain, and Wisconsin punted. And it was like, against every other team on the schedule... That's probably a first down. It's the type of run that Jonathan regularly makes where he gets like 12 yards in open space. And there was absolutely nothing against Ohio State. And that's exactly what we saw the rest of the game. They just had better players. Uh, You can talk about scheme and all that, but and that helps. But Ohio State had way too many playmakers and Wisconsin just can't compete. They did. And we'll get into a little bit more of this uh, when you get into the Twitter questions. But I think the other thing coming out of this game is what it does to the rest of the season. I think that there's a lot of people that, and I I put up a poll just wondering, you know, what the people were feeling, whether Wisconsin's chances win the Big Ten West are still there. And a significant amount of people were are still very confident in their chances of winning the Big Ten West, despite being two games behind Minnesota at this point. But there were also some people that said, who cares? It doesn't matter. And I'm wondering what you think about the players because they were kind of asked some similar things like how do you regroup from these past two weeks and I feel like and I feel like if last week hadn't happened if the Illinois game hadn't happened this would be a much different conversation we'd be having right now. Oh, 100%. Because- like yes, we know that none of us uh, I shouldn't say none of us I'm sure there's some people out there that thought that Wisconsin would have a chance going into Ohio State even, like before the Illinois game I'm sure there's a lot of people that thought that they would have a shot but even if they had beaten Illinois and they go to Ohio State and they lose like this, be like, okay, it is what it is. You may get another shot at them down, down, down the stretch and, and maybe you get lucky and, and beat them in the Big Ten Championship game and, and things are all right. You're 12-1 you're and one and you're feeling good about it. But right now, it's like the season is over for some people and I, I don't get that. I think I don't get it either. I know the, the Illinois loss is just, it's, it's mind-boggling and it's against a team that Wisconsin regularly beats and we know the point spread and all that and it came on the heels of Wisconsin playing so well in the first six games, and I think that's in part why it was so deflating. But again, you have to ask yourself, coming into this season, what was your expectation for Wisconsin football? Did you realistically think the Badgers were going to be in the college football playoff? They were ranked 19th. There were a ton of questions. They were coming off an eight-win season. That was very disappointing. I can't imagine that there were many people, even fans of this program, ardent supporters that thought, this is a top-four team. And so if you don't believe that, then... This is the cliched line that all our goals are still in front of us. They can win the Big Ten West, and I know we'll, we'll probably get into it more here, but I think they've got a very good shot at this. They're going to need some help because Minnesota's undefeated right now, uh, beating up on teams that are not very good, but still ain't no. Um, but I do think that they've got an opportunity to win the West, and that's the goal at Wisconsin every year is play for a conference championship. Now, you may question what will happen in that game if Wisconsin gets there, but I think that that goal is still out there for the Badgers, and that's probably what most people hoped for at the start of the season. Yeah, Minnesota season is playing out like Wisconsin did in 2017, where there were not huge expectations, and they beat the crap out of a bunch of not very good teams, and it wasn't until November when they played Michigan and Iowa that 
they started getting any respect, you know, in terms, I mean, Minnesota had to come from much further down in terms of respect of what the program was in that type of Wisconsin, you know, obviously was not thought of as a college football playoff contender. But they still kept going up the rankings and up the rankings and up the rankings because of who they were as a program the previous year. I mean, they had been in the, in the conversation for the college football playoff the previous year as well. So Minnesota is coming from a different spot. But this is when Minnesota season starts, at least in my opinion. They managed to um, get by their non-conference schedule unbeaten somehow, some way. Those are some close games that I didn't, you know, that they pulled out. And now they've kind of hit their stride and they've beaten four straight opponents, including Maryland, by over, I think it's been 25 points or is it 20 points? Four straight opponents by at least 20 points, which is the first time since 1960 that they've done that. So they are a different Minnesota team than perhaps... They were even under Jerry Kill and what, you know, and Jerry Kill making them a contender, at least in the Big Ten West. But now their season comes to head. They've got a bye and then they've got unbeaten Penn State. Yes, they, they have got a bye this week. Minnesota? Don't they have, they both have a bye. They, they play Iowa the ninth. Did. Okay. What? I thought, I didn't know Minnesota had a bye this week. I yeah, yeah. They Minnesota, played Penn State. Minnesota's got a bye. Penn State's got a bye. And they both, so they'll both come into that game 8 0 next week, uh, not this weekend, but next weekend. Uh, the following. Got me all screwed up now, Jesse. Eleven, uh, the the ninth, uh, November ninth, same day that Wisconsin and Iowa will play. Those two teams will play up in Minneapolis, and PJ Fleck was railing hard to try and get uh, College Game Day in town. Unfortunately for him, that same day, Alabama and LSU play, and so uh, I think that'll be the <laughs> game day site uh, come next week. We'll see though. Either way, so they got that game, and then they play at Iowa the following week. Then they go to Northwestern, which. Hasn't been any good at all, but you just never know. And then they get Wisconsin at home. Those are their four games. And that, to me, that's a much more difficult schedule than what Wisconsin and Iowa will have to face, who are the other two lost teams and the only two teams that really probably have a shot at winning the Big Ten West. Iowa, they're at Wisconsin, then they're home to Minnesota, then they're uh, home to Illinois, and then they finish their season at Nebraska. Uh, and Wisconsin, obviously, Iowa, at Nebraska, Purdue, and then at Minnesota. Those are the four games left for those three teams. I think Wisconsin still realistically has a good shot, especially if they take care of Iowa this week or next week. I feel the exact same way. And if I had to pick right now, I still think Wisconsin's going to come out of here and win the Big Ten West. Minnesota is playing better football. They're playing like a team that's ranked in the top 20 should play. They're not just beating lesser teams in the last second like they did in the non-conference portion. But the five wins that they've gotten are against teams that are combined 6-19 and in conference play. Even if you take out the five losses against Minnesota. These are still teams that are 6-14 and 14 in conference play. So we're finally going to find out something about Minnesota when it plays Penn State. I think Penn State's going to win that game. The Wisconsin-Iowa game, it's a de facto elimination game. Whoever loses that game is out of the Big Ten West race. And if the Badgers lose that game, then everybody's jumping ship. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen if Wisconsin's on a three-game losing streak and has no shot to win the West with the rest of November there. But the fact that that's at home, I think that helps. I was defensively really really good they just shut out northwestern northwestern barely got 200 yards of total offense i know the wildcats aren't great offensively but iowa held michigan to 10 points now the offense only scored three and a loss to the wolverines but i still think wisconsin will be the team that comes out of this thing but it's going to be really fun if we get to the regular season finale and it's minnesota and wisconsin in minneapolis for the right to play in the Big Ten Championship, which happened once before. That game was in Madison, yeah. uh, 2014, yep. I believe, yep. when Jerry Kill was there, and Wisconsin won that game. 
I can see something similar happening this time and whatever team wins that going to the championship game and getting smacked the same way Wisconsin did that year. Way in front of us. But, you know, I could. I don't think Minnesota wins it. I think it's Wisconsin and Iowa. And I'd love to, I would love to see Wisconsin's reaction to what has happened these last two weeks. Uh, I thought they played with fire in the first half, the defensively at least. Um, what kind of fire do they have left? for these final four games. That's going to be a huge, huge test for Paul Christ and his staff to get them up, knowing that there is still hope, knowing that there is still life if they take care of their own business to have an opportunity not just to win the Big Ten West, but to potentially go and pull the shock of the world and, and beat Ohio State, or Penn State for that matter, uh, in the Big Ten Championship game in December. All right, time to get into a few sold or not sold questions. So you mentioned that there was some talk about Wisconsin being one-dimensional, right? There was some talk on Twitter about people complaining about Wisconsin being one-dimensional. One of those people that was talking about it was a former player. I want to read you this tweet from Monte Ball, who played for Paul Christ, obviously. But here's what he said. We can't be so one-dimensional all the time. This whole Wisconsin identity way is getting real old. We look great against the Kent States of the football world, but when it comes time to actually play some football, this is Wisconsin. Some may not like this tweet, but it is the truth. Sold or not sold, that is the truth. Wisconsin can't be so one-dimensional all the time, and this is what happens when you come up against a real football team. The thing is, this is what Wisconsin has built the foundation of the program on, is being able to dominate in the trenches, get first downs, and then take your chances, take your shots occasionally in the passing game. They're not going to suddenly throw 34 times and run 17 times unless they're down and absolutely have to throw. They ran the ball 34 times. I thought Jack Cohn, when he had time, was okay. I mean, we saw the touchdown pass he had to A.J. Taylor. That was just a phenomenal pass. I couldn't believe he made that throw. Now it kind of came together and um, it was not the way that it was supposed to run. It was not. I think Quintez, as A.J. Taylor said, I Quintez was the, the first look, or Quintez motioned in a way that um, I think A.J. said he knew that it was going to be man yeah. coverage. Yep. And anyway, it was, an, it was a perfect throw. But I said before, Jack didn't have time to throw. So if you say that they need to be opening up the offense, that's great. But what, what good does that do if you can't actually – have the time to throw the ball downfield. Now, maybe that's obviously an indictment on the play of the offensive line. Um, but the other part of what Monte's saying, that Wisconsin not competing in a game like this, that you can beat the Kent States of the world. Look, I, I wrote about this in my story, too. And I think most reasonable fans probably look at this the same way, that Wisconsin is good enough to beat almost every team in college football. And in my mind, they are the envy of most teams in college football. That they, they would love teams would love to have the type of program that can consistently win ten games, play in New Year's Day bowl games. That just doesn't happen. We know this. But we also know that Wisconsin can't consistently beat Ohio State. Now they should be good enough to be competitive and occasionally win. We have seen that in twenty ten in a game that Monte played in. When they beat number one Ohio actually State. Actually didn't play in that one. Oh, he didn't play in that one. He didn't actually get in the game. All right. Almost transferred afterwards. Oh, that's right. Or moved um, to linebacker. Well, John Clay and James White. How yes. about that? There you go. <laughs> um, and that's how it's, it is, and I think that's how it's going to be for the foreseeable future. And people also probably don't want to hear about recruiting because it comes up every time these two teams play, but that's a real thing in college football, and it is the difference maker. And Ohio State is on an entirely different plane at a level that is – matched only by the Alabamas of the world. And that's just not how it is at Wisconsin. It's it, they are, They're different approaches. You get different kids into the program. You attract different kids. 
we saw it on the field. It's just there's a talent disparity. It doesn't mean Wisconsin can't win, but it makes it much harder. I think the other idea is that they have the wide receivers to do what all these people want them to do. They want to air it out. And so you so what's the issue? You would point to the quarterback, right? Like that that would be the same that would be the the argument is they don't have the quarterback playing. Well, they have a four-star quarterback sitting on the bench. Why don't you play him? That would work better. He would find those wide receivers wide open. I just don't think it's as easy as that. And I also say we'll say this. Monte Ball played with the two best two of the best quarterbacks that ever played at Wisconsin. Scott Tolzien in, in 2009 and 2010 and Russell Wilson in 2011. Those type of offenses, you're able to have that type of offense when you have that type of quarterback. And Jack has been solid enough this year, but he's not Scott Tolzien and he's not Russell Wilson. And if anybody's thinking Russell Wilson is going to show up, you think Graham Mertz is Russell Wilson, he ain't Russell Wilson either yet to this point that we've seen. That's not him. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I, I'm not saying that they shouldn't air the ball out more. I think they kind of should. But to sit here and say that they're too one-dimensional against that team when they can't pass protect, they can't keep their quarterback up for more than three, two seconds, that's going to be very, very difficult to sit there and, and uh, do what you want them to do. Moving forward here, uh, Jonathan Taylor's Heisman candidacy officially dead. Sold or not sold? I am sold unless he has no. It doesn't matter. It's, four it's consecutive three hundred yard games. <laughs> uh, it's 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 over for yeah. him. Uh, look, it, it, when you get three point one yards against Michigan State, but the team still wins, you say, all right, that's one game. But he averaged two point six yards a carry against Ohio State, and. You know, J.K. Dobbins outplayed him. Now he's got... He's got a lot of more talent around him. He absolutely does. But I think... I know this was an important game for Dobbins and, and for Ohio State because all the talk coming into the week and all the questions they were asked was about the best running back in the Big Ten, the best running back in college football, and they were referencing Jonathan Taylor. And Dobbins is the one who ends up with 163 yards rushing, two touchdowns, averages eight yards a carry. And now I think that there are people saying, well, maybe Dobbins is the best running back in the Big Ten. Obviously, Ohio State, um, as you said, more talent, go, more talent around no. him. Yeah, more talent around him. But yeah, Taylor's Taylor's Heisman hopes they are they are done. Officially, I think we done. can declare it. And he's down to five point seven yards per carry this year. He did go over a thousand. He also did pass Monte on the all time rushing list. So he is uh, now number two all time, only behind Ron Dane. I think he's going to catch Ron Dane, but five point seven yards a carry. That's that's the worst as a team, you know, for their their starting tailback since 2016 when uh, when Corey was you know right around and he was under five. But um, in the last two years, Jonathan obviously 6.6 and 7.1, and it's taken a dive this year. And we'll see if uh, he's able to get it going against some really good def- uh, really good defensive in Iowa and a talented defense or a defense that has played well, I should say, at times in in Minnesota. Over the last three games, he's averaging 3.56 yards per rushing attempt. So he's carried 74 times for 256 yards. I know he went over 100 against Illinois, but obviously teams, they've always loaded the box, but it just seems like they're having far more success in, in the last few games, and, and you're seeing it on the field. Jess Peavy also made an appearance uh, on that that whole Monte Ball tweet situation as well, which is the first time I've actually seen him talk about Wisconsin football since he left the team in 2017. Uh, sold or not sold, Minnesota's the best team in the Big Ten West. Not sold. I think we've talked about it. If they beat undefeated <laughs> Penn State, I will be sold.
All right, now let's head into the post-game media session. Some of the best audio from the players for the second straight week. Tough visitors' locker room as the Badgers fell 38-7 at Ohio State. It was an all-around tough game for the offense. They managed just 191 yards, their fewest since 2016. That came in a loss at Michigan. Tyler Bionich said it was a unit-wide issue. It takes one guy to be off to make up, you know, playoffs. So I think, um, you know, I think we had too many of those where maybe one guy was off here or there, but. Um, as a team, I think we just got to play better. All 11 has to, have to play um, well at the snap of the football. And Running game virtually non-existent most of the day. Jonathan Taylor, just 52 yards on 20 carries, saw his Heisman Trophy push officially come to an end. You know, one of the biggest things was they did a great job of, you know, staying stout in the whole, um, you know, not having any missed assignments. You know, usually, you know, you get guys looking at a lot of different things, a lot of phony action, and they may get out their gap or something like that. So they did uh, a good job of playing assignment football. Part of that defense, Chase Young, one of the top players in the country, ruined almost everything Wisconsin tried to do. Defensive end finished with four sacks, two forced fumbles, with the Buckeyes racking up a total of five sacks, eight tackles for loss. Cole Van Landen on Young and all that pressure. It's hard. Some players we have Chase Young on a tight end, you know, things like that. But we also have play, like passes where – we're setting aggressively because they're supposed to be quick throws, but then people aren't open and stuff, and he's got to hold the ball. You know, that's just, it is what it is as a combination of a lot of things. Badgers did have a few bright spots that included showing off the Wildcat with Aaron Crookshank at quarterback, ran it three times, first being the most successful, had a 27-yard run. Crookshank said they've been working on it for the past few weeks. He was happy to break it out. Now, how about a pass? I don't want to say it right now, <laughs> but... I hope it's coming. The other good stretch offensively came after a big special teams play. Alex Smith blocked a punt near the beginning of the second half. Two plays later, Jack Cohn gave A.J. Taylor a chance on a deep ball. He pulled it in for the 30-yard score. Honestly, I just I knew versus man, I felt like I had an advantage like just in the scene first off because I knew where I was going. And um, that's really what I saw when, when Q motioned over. I saw that the guy went with him, so I was like I knew it was man, so it just... He snapped the ball. I just had to go. You know? That would be the end of the good for the offense. It was also a bit of a surprise for Van Lennon. They felt prepared coming in, but what they saw for the Buckeyes defense wasn't what they were expecting. We came in ready to roll. Like I said, we had a game plan, and they schemed us in a way where we didn't see any of it all year. And then now we're digging in, trying to find just things that work, and that's really hard. And that's what Illinois did too. Um, and now we're expecting that's what's going to happen. Like people are just going to scheme on things that they see other teams do. Um, that we either struggle on and things that we've never seen a team do before. And I think that's what's going to happen going forward. Um, so now I think that's how we're going to have to game plan going forward. Um, and that's just what they did today, and it was very frustrating. You know, and we had a lot of good players coming in. It's just the, they didn't play the defense they normally do on some things. So, it's, you know, I think we need to just really tighten things down and get some players where we just can run it against anything, you know. And I think that's what we're going to do, and I think we have a really good time for a bye week for all of us to regather and get ready to roll. As for his matchup with Young, yeah, I mean the tape don't, doesn't lie. You know, he's like I said, an absolute monster of an athlete, and that's what showed today. You know, um, I had in my mind sets I wanted to take, depending on help I had inside and stuff, because I wanted to take that outside away from him. Um, and I thought I did a decent job of that. It's just uh, sometimes the help wasn't there and things like that. But it is what it is, and I'm just hoping. We do what we need to do, and we get another chance to go against them. On the other side of the ball, Badgers held up for a half. Ohio State just three points up until right before the end of that first half. Then 
Quarterback Justin Fields found Chris Olave on a perfect play against the defense Wisconsin was playing. That, according to safety Eric Burrell. Oh, that's a coverage beater. I mean, that's all I can really say. Uh, I think he did a little over under the linebackers and climbed high. Um, and that coverage, man, is that's what beats it. Still, linebacker Zach Bond felt good at the half. At that point, we had done good enough to, to win the, the game and kept our chances high and yeah the halftime feeling wasn't wasn't defeat or we weren't mad that we had got scored on by like 10 points it's we were pretty good feeling good during going into halftime after a three and out to open the second half and, and that touchdown by the offense to make it 10-7 ohio state came to life they would score touchdowns on their next four drives to blow the game wide open wisconsin got gashed for 264 yards on the ground including 163 by J.K. Dobbins. By the end of it, they were clearly worn down, according to Bowen. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're they're a good team, and they have really good players, good coaches. Um, and then when our offense can't stay on the field as long as usual and we we're on the field longer, obviously that that's, uh, it gets exhausting. Fields had 64 yards rushing, if you take out of the five sacks that Wisconsin got him. Also threw for 167 yards, two more scores. Chris Orr on the challenge of dealing with Fields. Uh, well, it's always hard when you have a, a dual-threat quarterback, you know, a true dual-threat. You know, he can scramble, go get a first down when it seems like it's completely out of the question. Mm-hmm. Or um, even quarterback run game, you know, when, when, when people run the quarterback, you know, they have a hat for a hat. They can block everybody, and they just kind of have a free runner. That's when it comes down to beating your one-on-one blocks and, and trying to get to them. But you know, it's pretty tough to do, especially when you got like a, a big, big dude like that. All that left Wisconsin deal with back-to-back losses for the first time since 2016. What it didn't do was end their season. Four games to play. Badgers tied with Iowa. Two games back of unbeaten Minnesota in the Big Ten West. Gophers must, though, play unbeaten Penn State along with the Badgers and Hawkeyes in these final weeks. Wisconsin will also host Iowa after their bye. So the year not done, and that's the message Jonathan Taylor trying to hammer home. You're trying as a leader, trying to rally the guys, and it doesn't swing your way this game. So now the, the biggest thing is you're trying to figure out, you know, how am I going to rally the guys again? But we got to let the younger guys understand that we got a bunch of Big Ten West Division games coming up, and they're very important, so we got to make sure the confidence level is high um, coming off this bye week going into Iowa. Giannis actually bristled at the question of whether he thought the locker room would respond. I have no doubt with my guys. I'll go with my guys. I'll take my guys over anybody. That's, uh, that's, that's not a question for me. I'm going with my guys, and I'm confident with them. We're going we're gonna to do it. All right, time to get into your Twitter questions. These ought to be good. <laughs> Start with Wisco AP. Uh, there were a lot of people criticizing play calling the last few weeks. He wants to know, why do we have to sit and be content fans? Paul Chris needs to give up play calling. Jesse? Um, who would you hand the reins to, I guess, would be my question. And, yeah, and, I, and look. It's a were- joint effort between he and Joe Rudolph. And John Budmeyer, apparently, as well, uh, is my understanding. Look, everything is great when plays work, and everything looks horrible when, when they don't. I don't know what would have worked against Ohio State. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't... I'll say this. I, I still... They were at it again on Saturday. A um, lot, of, lot of shotgun, a lot of pistol looks again. Um, it, is, it is what it is now. I asked Joe Rudolph about it last week, what goes into making that decision, and... Didn't really give me a great answer. He he said a lot of a lot goes into it. You know, maybe certain packages with certain play action and that works better here and there and that type of stuff. But it didn't give me an explanation as to why it works against some defenses and why it doesn't work against other defenses. 
I actually asked Kent State's defensive coordinator that question a few weeks ago when I was shadowing them, and and the thing that he said that is beneficial and probably obvious, but when you're in the shotgun, then you can use your quarterback in a different way. You can have him run a little bit, and and we saw... But you don't have a running quarterback. We actually did see him on some running plays. He's not, But I, I think against a team like Ohio State, if you're under center, by the time you've taken your drop... Someone's probably sacking you. I understand. <laughs> so you get a little extra time. So do we blame? So do we say that the shotgun and pistol is more a result of the offensive line? It could be one part of the equation. I don't know that we're ever going to fully hear the you know why did you game plan in this way against these teams? But I also think I want to say that everything is magnified right now because of that loss to Illinois. You talked about it before. Like I don't think we thought that Wisconsin was going to beat Ohio State. No. But if I go, if you go back and look at that Illinois game again. Like, Wisconsin did the things that it generally does to win the game. It had the ball two-thirds of the game. It converted over 50% on third downs. It outgained Illinois by more than 100 yards. Now, they got into the red zone, and they couldn't score, and that's the big problem. They also did score in the red zone. They turned the ball over three times. Exactly. They couldn't stop the run. They gave up big plays. So, when you say they did all the things that they usually do to win, that's not necessarily accurate. There were eight minutes left, and they were up by two possessions, yeah, yeah, but they, and they lost the game. And, sure. But I'm saying if, if they one of those turnovers doesn't happen and they win, I think this conversation is very different. So uh, it, the Ohio State loss on the heels of a bad loss to Illinois is why these things are magnified. Look, people have the right to question all this, but I, I just... What, what's what's the alternative? I will say, I think they had the most inventive offensive series of the year against Ohio State. You know, they they did add a new wrinkle, and for one play at work, they put Aaron Cruikshank in the Wildcat, who played some quarterback out in Brooklyn in high school, and he had a 27-yard gain on the very first play. Now, he was in there a second time. He handed off to Jonathan Taylor. I think the play went for two yards, and then they brought him out in the Wildcat on a different series uh, for one run that went nowhere. But on that first drive also... They ran a jet sweep to Kendrick Pryor, so they were trying to get on the edge. I, I was actually like really impressed with that drive, which ended in a punt. Yeah, and what re, the what that reminds me of is the 2016 game when they got on the edge a bunch with Jazz PV. Speaking of Jazz PV, uh, and did a bunch of those fly sweeps to try and spread them out. That team didn't have Chase Young though, so um, and that was one guy that Kirkshank me- mentioned saying when he was taught when he's asked about. Is this the best defense you you face? He goes, things just change when number two's coming up the field every single play. And that's accurate. He also did say, I asked him, you know, you got any any passing coming out of this one? And he said, I can't say anything about that, but I hope so. (laughs) Um, So, Gator asks, uh, could Ohio State beat an all-star team made up of players from the other 13 teams in the conference? (laughs) Probably, maybe. That's a good question. You'd have to ask who would be the best at each position. An all-star team of the other 13 teams or who, what Ohio State has. Justin Fields would be the quarterback, right? Uh, who's the best? Who's the other best quarterback in the league? Well, people might say Nate Stanley. I don't know, but it's not even close. <laughs> no. no, no, no. Dobbins no. could be the running back. He could be. Depending on your uh, allegiances. The offensive line probably make, made up a lot of, uh, of Ohio State guys as well. Defense, too. Defensively, it would. Eh, there's probably a good chance. Boy, that's a good question. I would love to see that game. Yeah. Craig asked, last year LSU realized playing a very similar offensive scheme to what Wisconsin plays was not going to cut it. They hired an offensive assistant from the Saints and incorporated a modern passing game to complement the running game. Should UW do the same? <sighs> I don't know the answer to that. You you owe it to yourself to explore all the options. And I know we've talked about this after last season when we were t- discussing the quarterback situation that like they hadn't performed well enough. And if this, if, I don't know, I, I, 
let's see what happens in the next four games. All right. If Wisconsin's 10 and two, I think we're having a different conversation. Uh, Jay asked, Barry has inserted himself in the past to influence staff decisions. What will it take for Barry or PC to evolve and improve the staff? Our best line coach in history is on staff coaching the linebackers. When did Barry influence the staff decisions in recent recent years? I would say the uh, keeping Aranda around. Well, that was a good decision. It was. It was. But Paul didn't... Paul's experience before coming here, Paul Chris' experience before coming here was not in a 3-4 defense. And so keeping him around kept the 3-4 around and it proved to be a, a smart decision than bringing Justin Wilcox in. But I, th- I don't know how much influence Barry had in that, but I'm sure he put in a good word for, for Dave. There's no doubt about it, for sure. But... Do I think it's a legitimate criticism to have one of the best O-line coaches in the country coaching linebackers right now? Yes, I think it's a legitimate criticism of Paul Christ. Well, then let me ask you this. What would you do? Where would you put Joe Rudolph? Well, I don't think, me personally, I don't think that there is a need for a specialized special teams coach. I, I don't. I really don't. Simply because kickoffs have been marginalized because people are kicking through the end zone and or you know just calling fair catch. What's the point? So you have punting in the kicking game. Taylor Melhoff has spent, spends more time with the kickers than Chris Herring does. So what is Chris Herring's job? Chris Herring's job is punt. And even then, Taylor Melhoff has a, as we know, has a pretty uh, extensive hand there. So Chris Herring recruiting is also a big part of his job as well. I don't think that there is a need for a specialized special teams coach. And so instead of having, I, I in talk to any of the, and, and, uh, on our Wisconsin football roundtable, I've talked with Bill Nagy about this. They all think Joe Rudolph is a very, very good offensive line coach. I think he's a good offensive line coach. Offensive line coach. I just, I don't, and I get why Paul wanted Bob Bosett on staff. It doesn't feel like worthwhile to have that talent sitting on that side of the ball. I got to give it to you, Zach. That's a hard hitting analysis. I'm, I'm impressed. I'm just asking. I, mean, I, I don't know. Like I don't. If you ask me what I thought should happen, I don't think there should be a specialized special teams coach. Obviously, Joe Rudolph is a fantastic coach. Joe is great and is a great recruiter. I'm not saying you would ever get rid of Joe Rudolph. What I'm saying is maybe you put him in a different role because you have Bob Bostad sitting there on the other side of the line. And I don't think the line has played up to its ability this year, and I don't think that's all on Joe. I think it's there's certainly concerns, I think, at the two guard spots that um, they're young and experienced and um, for, for whatever reason just haven't been able to come together and, and uh, he's, he's working with a little bit of a Dak that isn't maybe stack, stacked as high as you probably would like it at this point. So I think Joe Rolf is fantastic and I think he should be on staff. I just think Bob Bostad would be a better choice as an offensive line coach simply because of his history. I do think it's worth the, the mention that you talked about as a recruiter what Joe does. If any of these guys that are committed that are offensive linemen, the players, the commits, the, the parents rave about yeah. who Joe is and and, and I, I think t- that I think that's a big part of it. I mean, from a recruiting standpoint, I don't think you can make any arguments about what they've been able to do in terms of getting these players, especially the last few years when you get your first five-star prospect in 12 years, when you've got five offensive linemen committed in the 2020 class, and Joe Rudolph is a huge part of that. I yeah. also understand what you're saying in terms of what Bob Bosted has done, a career offensive guy until he flipped to the defensive side to be at Wisconsin and coach the linebackers. And when you don't perform well, you open yourself up to criticism. Yeah, I think that obviously there's a coaching element to this, but there's something to be said. If you look at this offensive line, people are talking about the teams in 2010, 2011, and how they could play with Ohio State and how they could beat Ohio State. Those were the two best offensive lines 
in school history where every guy was going to go to the NFL and the only one who didn't in 2011 was Josh Oglesby because of injuries. He was still a first-team All-Big Ten offensive lineman. You don't have that this year on the line, and I think that contributes to what's happening as well. Again, big Joe Rudolph fan. I'm not saying that he should be on this staff. It just I understand where people are coming from having Bob Bosett on the other side and, and watching the offensive line struggle a little bit this year um, um, so far. Jeff asks, Ohio State, best team in the country, yes or no? Yes, I feel like they are. They've beaten every team by 24-plus points. They're averaging almost 50 points a game. they got one of the best offenses, one of the best defenses, if not the best, statistically at least. Yeah. And Alabama's got an injury to Tua, Tongo Vailoa. Now, if he's healthy... Did you see what they did yesterday, though, with, with, with him on the bench? And I know Arkansas sucks, but yeah. they, had 40, they had scored 31 points the first half. There's only a handful of teams in this conversation. And, I mean, from what we've seen so far... I would put Ohio State number one. And there's a new LSU. Number, there's a new number one right now. LSU. Yeah, LSU and the and Joe Burrow who played came from Ohio State. Yeah, <laughs> says says a lot about it. Does the types of players they get. So L- LSU and Clemson, Clemson, which is kind of backpedaled slightly just because Trevor Lawrence's numbers have taken a dip, and but they're still winning. So yeah. those are the teams in the conversation. I think there's four teams. Yeah, and they those likely. We'll see what happens here these next few weeks, but I, I think. Those are likely the four teams that are playing in the college football playoff. I wouldn't be surprised. Alabama's going to play LSU, and whoever loses that game will not win the SEC West and therefore won't play for a conference championship and will probably still wind up as the number four team because they're going to be 11-1 and with one loss to the number one team. Yeah. Uh, he follows us up, though, with, an I think, a worthwhile question. Uh, is this matchup, yes, the, the Ohio State-Wisconsin matchup, is it predictive of where these two, team, two programs are headed in the next five years, or was the talent level that Urban built there unsustainable, and this is just a special team even for Ohio State? That is a great question. I, Everything I've seen from Ryan Day leads me to believe that this is going to continue. You're right that the players on the field were recruited by Urban, and since 2012, Ohio State's like 94-9, and nine, which is unbelievable, but it also means that they're doing this to other teams that aren't just Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin's recruiting's been on an uptick, and I, I wrote about this last week. There's, It's just really hard to compare these two teams. Wisconsin's best recruiting class ever in the online ranking era, which is basically since 2000, was this 2019 class that we've talked about forever. Wisconsin was 28th in the country. They had a five-star player. They had two four-star players. Ohio State never has teams that are 28th in the country. They're top five. They're sometimes top three. Yeah. And so I think that that level of recruiting is going to continue from Ohio State, and Wisconsin is just not going to be able to get to that level, but I still think they are capable of being competitive. Two years ago, they almost won the game and went to the college football playoff. Right. I mean, the difference this year, you know, as good as uh, JT Barrett was and as good as obviously Cardale was for that that, that one game that they blew him out um, and Braxton Miller, how good he was, Justin Fields is just a different player. And obviously they didn't get to play against uh, Dwayne Haskins, but Fields' ability to extend plays – Ability to throw the ball down the field, throw with accuracy. Like he even got off to a slow start yesterday, and still didn't even throw a pass till like last minute of the first quarter, which was the shock of the day. Like they thought that, that and eventually they were right. Wore down Wisconsin's front, playing without Garrett Rand. Uh, we saw Keanu Benton get the start and play a ton after not playing at all against Illinois. Zach Bond said, "Yeah." When the offense isn't able to stay on the field as long as they normally do, we got worn down. So he called, Yeah, he said it was exhausting. Yeah. Fields, by the way, said if it had not have rained, I think he, the quote was that Ohio State would have scored 50, and it's hard to disagree. I mean, for sure. For sure. There's no doubt. Um, <laughs> it's 
So thankfully for the rain, uh, thankfully for Wisconsin and, you know, in Wisconsin's mind, it didn't rain. Uh, but again, you talked about competing seven straight losses now against Ohio State. That's the longest in the, that's the longest since they won 21 straight between 1960 and 1980. So it had been a while since Wisconsin had been dominated this long of a stretch by Ohio State. And Wisconsin had some really, really good teams in that stretch. In this seven-game stretch where they've, they've lost everyone, Wisconsin's had some good teams in that stretch. They've Just, only really been dominated twice in these seven games. The other five were by single digits, two were in overtime. The other one, as I mentioned, in the Big Ten Championship game two years ago. But the most recent one is what we're seeing, and it was the biggest <clears throat> loss since the 2014 Big Ten Championship game for, for Wisconsin. All the losses yeah. they've had since then hadn't been as, uh, in terms of scoring margin, as as big as what happened against Ohio State. So, Well, luckily for them, no one saw it. It was only the most viewed college football game on TV yesterday on any network. No one saw it. It's all good. But I do think it's reasonable to wonder about the direction these teams are heading and, and if this is going to be the norm when these teams play. I don't know. I think it'll be the norm. I, I, I don't know about the norm, but playing at Columbus is always going to be difficult. It's a tough place to play. I think on a neutral site or in, or in Madison, the games, for the most part, are going to be close uh, or closer. Wisconsin will get this week off. They'll be back next week to take on Iowa. Thank you, Jesse. Thanks, Zach. You've been listening to The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.